Welcome to the Life is Good podcast, where we explore the transformative power of healing, delve into real stories of resilience, and uncover the wisdom that lies within all of us. Each episode is a journey towards a life that is truly good, and I am honored to have you with me on this path to self-discovery and growth. I welcome you, and I thank you. Today, I have the pleasure to sit and chat with a person who is very dear to me. I met her not long ago here at Lake Atitlan, and she is a somatic trauma coach who it's a unique energy that is very healing, intuitive, and loving that uh, it's so easy to be drawn into and to share your deepest wounds and traumas too, <laughs> which is exactly what I did. <laughs> and I had um, the honor and the opportunity to, to be held in her safe and uh, healing container and dive deep into some of my own wounds, one of some of my deepest wounds that I carried with me for uh, quite a few time, quite a long time now. Uh, so I'm very grateful and honored to have her here. Um, welcome, Tammy. Tammy, ciao. How are you today? Thank you, Gabriel. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, would you like to say a few words about yourself and how do you how would you introduce yourself? And yeah. What you're doing? It's funny because this title is always shifting because um, basically I'm a somatic trauma coach and I kind of guide women through their trauma healing process and really in the beginning it's about regulating the nervous system and as we start to peel back the layers of the trauma responses it's actually it coming back to self so it's this embodied awakening journey from going from you know the nervous system regulation into oh who am I really and who is my soul here to be on this earth mm. and through the process of going into the body and regulating it's kind of understanding the five languages of the body, which connects us to our intuition and kind of our, you know, gifts that we all have. We're all kind of psychic and intuitive in some way, and it's connecting back to our to our true nature as divinity. Um, yeah. Wow. So sounds like magic. Not exactly the best elevator pitch, but still working on it. It changes every time. <laughs> of course, of course. No, like to me, that sounds super amazing and. Yeah, as I'm saying, it's like magical. Yeah, it's really uh, quite a magical process. Yeah, and I'm curious. Um, you've already said quite a few interesting, interesting things that I'd like to get more into, specifically the five languages of the body. But before we do that, I, I'm interested in, uh, I'm curious, how did this all start for you? Um, well, I think I've been on my own healing journey for 10 years, um, which... I mean, I guess I come from an upbringing with an alcoholic father and really codependent and mesh family household. And I was a really sensitive child and really didn't receive a lot of that 
it's called contact nutrition, which is like the love and attention and nourishment that we need, you know, emotionally from my parents. And I also grew up in Texas, which was a totally different culture to me. And um, I would say, yeah, I just experienced a lot of sexual trauma, um, identity confusion, not, you know, growing up as a Chinese girl in a really white place, um, not understanding the cultural differences I was holding with coming from a collectivist culture like China and also about like being in a place that is so independent like the U.S. And, you know, not understanding the contrast of what I was seeing with parents that love my friends versus the way that my parents talked to me, which was a lot Mm. more tough love. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of um, ingest all of those things when you're younger. It's like, I don't deserve love, like all of these messages that I internalize. Um, So I would say I had, yeah, I just, was blessed with the f- some amount of trauma that um, kind of manifested for me. I was really depressed, and I would say just um, for probably 10, 15 years of my life, like just dealt with suicidal ideation, really low self-worth, um, and bulimia, which was my private way of kind of self-harm um, that – you know, later in my work, I learned was just basically suppressed rage that I inflicted on myself because I didn't know how to move rage, which is now a huge part of my practice and what I educate right. about. Um, and so going through that journey of at some point hitting rock bottom when I went to school and afterwards, I um, for many years, I really abused alcohol, drugs. Um, I was smoking like a pack of cigarettes a day. <laughs> I was eating so poorly and, um, you know, blacking out and just kind of all of my demons would come out. And in relationship, it was really chaotic as well. And I was just kind of going through the motions of re-traumatizing myself through that process and really escaping my pain. And um, I think how my body first spoke to me was it manifested in ulcer symptoms and my stomach, you know, couldn't hold down food anymore because I had this pattern of bulimia for so many years. And so then it started bloating to like three times the size, which was super uncomfortable as somebody who, you know, I struggled with body dysmorphia and I was also in the fashion industry. So all of those things together led for a really crazy, you know, crippling experience, like emotionally and physically. And then when I went to the doctor to, you know, luckily I remember I went to the normal doctor that was under my health care plan at my job and she luckily was getting into the more holistic side mm-hmm. and I remember like kind of just you know you feel that sterile feeling on the table and it's like all cold and weird and she asked me um she was like what's your relationship like to your father and I was like why are you asking me this you know I'm 21 years old I've been right. to so many doctors for this bloating and all of this GI stuff it was the first person to ever ask me anything like that and I felt like a full body freeze because I'm like I don't like, you know, it's my ego, like, we don't go here. Right. I didn't even know, you know, that it was connected. But I think that was the beginning of my journey. I didn't know then. like, it, it was probably like 10 years since then, that I then started getting into trauma healing and somatics. But now looking back, that's when I was forced, or, you know, goddess or God led me into having to completely strip my diet of, you know, all these things because of, um, acid reflux and everything that was happening 
I started going to acupuncture. That's when I started reading, you know, I read The Power of Now and started mm-hmm. reading all the books because suddenly all my time that was spent drinking and doing drugs, partying and escaping myself, I had to do something with that time. So that turned into my healing journey. But that's the beginning of, you know, my body first manifesting in physical symptoms to give me signs. And then since then, you know, like, then I go into the whole journey of leaving New York and going into love and light in LA, (laughs) you know, and that, that was, that serves its purpose. And then I think it was during the pandemic that I was reading the body keeps the score, which uh, disclaimer for anybody getting into somatics, I will say that that book will trigger the shit out of you. It's not like a beginner book. Like they use a lot of graphic examples, but that's what it did. It triggered me into seeking trauma healing because it was like I went to L.A. and had a completely new identity. Like instead of wearing black, I wear white. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, no, you, you know, you like go into yeah. the love and light. Like, I love, like you know, I'm just going to ignore all of this part of myself. But yeah. it kept I, w- I still like fell into what I would call like back then I would call like depressive episodes and shame myself for it. And, you know, there was this voice in me that was like, so what? Like this whole backstory of who I was and who I am, like, isn't part of me anymore. Like, I just meet people now and I just pretend I'm this like sunshiny angel and I feel like I'm still not seen. Um, And so I think that's when I was led to um, seeking out a um, a somatic therapist. And then through that journey, I was like, oh, I I can't not do this now. Like, I this is like my calling. Right. Right. Thank you so much for that uh, detailed description and um, deep dive into your own history, your own past. Um, yeah, it resonates to some level. I um, I never really had to deal with um, you know the same issues that you are you are saying. I had my own like traumas or uh, issues with sleep, for example, or sexuality or uh, other deeper stuff like that. But I can totally understand where you're coming from and see how, you know, crazy that sounds for, especially for a 21 year old or for Mm -hmm. a person in their twenties. For me, it started around 22, 23, uh, that I really kind of lost control over my life in a way. And I felt like I fell into a dark pit. That's what I call it nowadays. And I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Just like I was there lonely and okay, why am I doing here? And the notion that I kind of had with me for all this time was that for whatever reason, um, that I have to do it and I have to do it on my own. Like there was this sort of, um, um, you know, issue with asking for help, mm-hmm. maybe from my, I mean, definitely from my upbringing growing up in Romania, you know, you have to be a man and strong and independent and do things on your own. And that's when you are ready to be an adult, I guess, or ready to take life on mm-hmm. when you've gone through challenges on your own. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to touch a bit upon this idea of, um, you know, having gone through that as you, as you just, uh, told us, um, at what point did you feel like you need to reach out to some external help? Mm-hmm. Or was that something? Yeah. And I guess I, it's interesting what you're saying, you know, that that 
part of trauma, that internalized belief of like, I'm alone. Right. Like basically is the narrative. I'm alone. I'm alone. I have to do everything on my own. That's actually right. like, that's what happens in the moments of impact when we're younger. Like to me, everything kind of stems back from some early experience where we were helpless in the face of threat. And so in that moment, it's like we need to survive and there's nobody there to help us. And then there, all of those emotions and energy get trapped. Yeah. And that's where that belief I'm alone and um, there's nobody here to help me gets. And so that's like it's a very, nuts. yeah. So that's like a very common part of the process. So hmm. um, when did I feel? Was it part of your process? Or did you feel alone in that time? Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of people, it's when we, the ego likes to make our pain special. It likes right. to be like, I'm the only one that has this. <laughs> Nobody else, right? And right. then now I think, sorry, I will answer your question, but I yeah, like see where this is going in that like my work now is moving more and more into group work because that's what I was missing in the one-on-one space. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, I'm the compassionate witness for one person, but what I'm seeing happening in the group space is like we are wired for community. We are, are you know, we were wired right. to grow up in tribes or societies like that. Um, that sorry to interrupt, but that makes so much sense. Like something just clicked in my head right now. Um, because, yeah, we talked a bit, a bit about this offline um you're moving into the group work mm -hmm. but that just lo the logistics of that just being as a patient or as a client being next to other people who are suffering or dealing with the same things yeah. just by being in that container is already totally. healing right exactly it's amazing is, i never realized that i know now. and it's what's funny because when we have that repetitive story like in the beginning of my trauma healing journey i was like i only want to do one-on-one -on -one. why would i want to be with other right. people like, I think I'm going to do all this healing work in the cocoon and then I'm going to come out a butterfly and people are going to be like, how did she do that? Right, right, right. But right. now I realize, like, you have to be in the cocoon with other people, you know, and um, it's so cool holding space this way because I'm just there to hold the space. And then when one woman shares their story, it's and then I'm like, OK, can you just like look at the rest of the eyes that are looking at you right now? And they make that connection with other people who are like also in that same pain like that's for example the part of women that feels pathetic for wanting a partner the part of us right. that is made to feel um codependent and all these things for simply just like yearning for love yeah and it's like this is the part of us that will keep hidden because i have this you know say if i have this internalized belief like i will never find somebody that will meet me or i will never find the love that i'm looking for because i don't deserve it because there's something wrong with me yeah and then when you bring that out into a space and you're met with other people who are all nodding with tears in their eyes because it touches ex yeah, exactly the place in like them. I, like I have now. Yeah, exactly. Then you're like, oh, and we're actually connected right here. And then like right. the love is like right here. But we're taught to not talk about these parts of ourselves, which is the exact part that leads <laughs> to connection and love and intimacy. That's so strange. Like just thinking about how, you know, our upbringing was or how upbringing is in general in part of as part of the western society i guess yeah so strange like people don't really touch upon this and yeah we're taught to hide our emotions yeah because well, we come what are your thoughts on that why where is that coming from well we come from generations of survival right like different depending on like 
war. Um, I think, yeah, in those times, it, it does. It's actually kind of, you know, if you're on your healing journey, you need space to cry and sleep yeah. and take care of yourself. But if you're going through war times and trying to put food on the table, or even for many of our parents, right, they didn't have, they're working and trying to raise kids. It's actually pretty hard to be able to do this kind of emotional processing work. Right. Like I see this kind of as a continuation of the hard work that our ancestors have put in every generation for us now to have the privilege yeah. to get to do this and share our gifts and fulfill our purpose. But, um, you know, that's why I think our parents' generation saw emotions as a weakness, and I wouldn't say that was wrong for where they were at. Right. Yeah. Right, right. It's just that nowadays there is a pretty big shift in the way consciousness um, happens in the world or exists nowadays, right? Yeah, I think we're going through a collective awakening. Yeah. I also think, of course, there's such a you know, divide between the wealthy and poverty and like there's all that still present, but there is a lot more abundance for the people like for, for this to be a conversation. Right. And, you know, kind of, I I see it as like the people who do have the abundance or the prosperity to do this. It's almost like sometimes I feel like it's, it's kind of a a role or like a, a duty. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but, Like if I have this, like in the past, I would have felt guilty and like spoiled that I have these Mm -hmm. opportunities or something Mm -hmm. because growing up first generation, I see my parents taking care of their parents. So in my internalized mind, I'm like, I have no worth because I haven't made this money to buy a house for my parents by this age. But actually is my duty now more like, okay, I have these privileges and I have this skill and I have this life experience and my role is actually to spread this wisdom. And so the more people that are um, empowered to pursue their purpose and their path, I feel like it's an exponential thing for collective consciousness that, you know, if we have the abundance and privilege and ability to do so, then I think that filters down to people who can't afford it, you know, because like now I'm like, how do I create offerings that are accessible for people who can't afford one-on-one right. care or, you know. Yeah. And this is the way you and people in this uh, state of being, the abundant state of being, are sharing their gifts into the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not only, um, you know, it's needed. Mm-hmm. It's what we're here for, mm-hmm. most likely. And I, it totally resonates with me. Like, when I grew up, I, I had this image of myself that I am the spoiled one in the family because uh, I was a single, single child. Why are my uh, cousins, who I interacted with a lot when I was a kid, they were, you know, they were two. Mm-hmm. And they had a bit of a poorer uh, situation than mm-hmm. me. I, like I had, I don't know, I was the first one to have a computer in the family or, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And I would always feel bad and, yeah, spoiled. And then later on that kind of translated into me um putting in a like a, the coping mechanism was kind of like a false modesty mm-hmm. or like an over modesty you know inauthentic yeah. modesty like oh no not you know yeah um that i realized just you know in my late 20s i would say mm-hmm. and I, I realized that no actually 
you know, I am given all of these things. I was given all of these things, all these privileges. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's acknowledge them. Let's be grateful for them and let's use them to a good cause. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So we talked a bit about the past, like current day. What, um, where are you now? Uh, in your healing journey and then in your facilitating the healing journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because they're kind of more recently I've been drawn to the Hindu goddesses. Mm. So I've been drawn to traditional Tantra and like embodying Kali and embodying that primal rage. And um, I'm facilitating my first six month group course with women right now. That Congratulations. Is, thank you. Um, it's, it's a six-month journey where I have pre-recorded content dripped out in modules, mm-hmm. like teach everything that's um, like the nervous system healing, my journey with reclaiming my creativity, manifestation, um, energetics. Gosh, mm-hmm. I can't even remember. Um, like working with the goddesses, like basically everything that has transpired in my 10-year journey. And then we also meet live for group processing sessions and it's called awakening the wild woman because throughout my journey of somatics, I realized I was basically unfreezing slowly. Like if you saw me two years ago, like I wouldn't even be able to do this podcast because my throat would close Mm. up. I would totally freeze. It happened to me at work all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, even being online is, uh, if you ask my 16 year old self, she would be like, what the hell is oh, going cool. on? <laughs> you know, somebody who I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror or definitely not on camera. You know, mm-hmm. like the second I saw that, all I saw was like everything that had been passed on to me through patriarchy. And also my dad was very um, critical about appearance. Mm-hmm. So all I saw was how fucking gross I was and how I wasn't worthy and how, you know, all these beliefs of like, how could I possibly think that anybody would take me seriously because I was Chinese or the way that I looked or that I couldn't even speak intelligently. You know, I thought all those things about myself because I was having those trauma responses at freeze. Um, And so awakening the wild woman, as I, have been working in somatics and getting to my body and those responses aren't there anymore. Like those triggers aren't there out is coming this like wild woman who like (laughs) does not give a shit what her mom wants for her life. You know, when that was like so much of my life, like I don't, it's so cool to like slowly come to this place and not caring what other people think. And that has been such a journey, especially with social media. Um, But it is this like ferocious wild woman that's like, you know, like I can embody my rage and my grief and that's actually my full, the full depths of what right. a woman is, not just love and light and a pretty good right. girl. That to me sounds super liberating. Yeah, it, it really is. And so that's my facilitating side where I'm leading women into that embodied awakening to really reclaim the parts that society has told us that we don't get to have, like our righteous rage, our grief, you know, our depths and And then on the other side, I find myself in a, I'm the client in a group container where I'm being witnessed by eight women. And it's a live container where uh, like a six month deep dive of my own 
fears of intimacy and mm. relational wounding, because obviously in the first session, the first thing that comes up is my sexual trauma, right? And me sharing my story then liberates all these other women to start sharing. And then it creates this field of like this wild woman inside that has been suppressed, you know, and especially in the system of sexual assault, like it's not uncommon that the body completely shuts down. And the first thing that goes is the memory to protect us. And so say if, you know, women go through a criminal case with sexual assault, it's not uncommon that they try and do it like years later after the fact. And then right. people are like, well, why didn't you speak up at right, the time? Right, but it's right. like, you can't speak and you can't remember. And then it's this dormant thing that gets awakened and the, nobody believes you. And then it's all this suppressed rage, like this fight response that wants to like enact, but there's nowhere yeah. for it to go because women are called crazy or right. called, you know, um, too much if we act that way. And so, yeah, it's funny because in that container, it's just like the goddess like will not let, like I have to walk the walk so deeply because like mm. in that container now, I'm really learning how to not self-abandon in a relationship. I'm learning how to, as the facilitator says, he's like, your journey right now is actually not with, um, in partnership with another person. Like that's not what this container is about. As we thought, it's actually about your fidelity to the wild woman inside mm -hmm. of you. And how do you not abandon her? How right. do you let that voice of knowing be the voice every single decision, you know, in romantic partnership? Whereas in the past, I think because I'd grown up with an alcoholic father and all these things and traumas, my attachment system in, in, in sexual trauma, my attachment system in relationship and nervous system kind of goes haywire and everything gets really confusing. And I yeah. tend to, um, yeah, just override a lot of my own knowing um, for attachment. Well, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not the big with all words. <laughs> um, how do I even, um, you know, unpack that? Um, you said so many potent things. And one question I had is, you know, for women uh, today, in today's society, 2023, with all the access and all the opportunities and openness we have in the world right now, it's still, I believe, uh, it's there are still a lot of women who don't have this freedom who don't who don't even know it exists right mm -hmm. um just because they're still part of you know they they never had the opportunity to or to meet someone like you or to have a coach or anything mm -hmm. like that um so do you have any advice for them on how you know what's what's the next step for them to achieve this amazing liberation that you are mm -hmm. vibrating at right now that's a complicated question because it's met with so much still systemic oppression. Mm. You know, like if I'm working with somebody who is still in an abusive household, it's pretty hard to work with that because it's constantly re-traumatizing yeah. the nervous system, right? We're like creating safety, but then we're still in that exact same environment. So that's really hard. And so I would say the first step is almost how do you start looking or resources in your life. Like before we even get to go into the more tender parts of trauma healing, we always resource with a place of safety. Like for example, in our session, I start mm -hmm. from a place that 
feels more pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I guide you to a place that feels safe in your nervous system. Yeah. So I think for women that are in a perpetual state of fear, they're, they're, it's natural that their, their psyche is still looking for all the places of danger because it's yeah. trying to protect them. So the first step is actually orienting to places of resource. So that could be as simple as nature. It could mm. be like really contemplating a flower, a tree, looking at the colors, lights, you know, the, the ways that feeling the softness of the petals, really engaging the senses to actually then start noticing where in the body does it feel neutral because we're so used to getting stuck in what Peter Levine calls the trauma vortex, which is the places that feel scary and yeah. painful. And so to, to counteract that, we're actually activating the healing vortex or the counter vortex and we orient to beauty, which is God's gift to us or, um, you know, nature and feeling that with our senses and noticing, oh, okay, where in my body feels neutral or more pleasant and bringing our awareness to that. And it's almost like that flexing a muscle you haven't flexed for a long time yeah. at the gym. So I would probably say that's the first step for women in that place is start orienting first to your resources. And as you do that, you all When you say resources, yeah. what do you mean exactly? Just for resources can be anything anything that brings a felt sense and felt sense is like your body's um, felt senses, like sensations, emotions um, oh. that, that feel more pleasant, like sensations in the body could be like expansion in the chest or contraction or spikiness or um, tension. And so you're looking for resources that bring you a felt sense of safety, mm -hmm. calmness, um, like openness, curiosity and that can be anything that brings you comfort like it could be a pet it could be thinking about because we could use our imagination in this work it could be thinking about your favorite place in nature like the mm. beach it can be um angels spirit guides a cup of tea exactly you can as anything that you orient to with your senses um can be a resource okay that that's okay. like a it makes you feel good in your body Mm -hmm. And is there a difference between internal resources, like it's like focusing on some sensation that is pleasurable or neutral in my own body versus external, like actually going to have a cup of tea or mm -hmm. reading a book or, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So usually we would start with external because say when we're working with a pretty traumatized nervous system, it's actually very... Um, confronting to enter the body because mm -hmm. our first mode is dissociating because that's the body's way of protecting itself from danger. And so if you were to start with a new person and be like, what's going on in your body? That's like very, that's right. like asking them to dissociate. Yeah. And so it's first like, well, let's start with outside. Like, what is it like to contemplate the sky for a moment to really notice the different shades? Like, what are some clouds? Like, what do those clouds look like? You know, and, it takes that focus off of yeah. um, zooming in on the thread itself. Yeah, and because so, the trauma, the thread is in the body, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you, we would start with external resources like touch, what you see, sound. Um, and then 
Like I would maybe guide them to see, oh, what's happening in your body as you examine and really orient to this flower, like you're seeing it for the first time, like, you know, guiding them through contemplating the life force energy that is coming through that stem that leads to this beautiful bud. And hmm. and they're like, whoa, I never thought about that. Like what keeps that alive? And then so in that moment, I might guide them to make a parallel in their body, like, well, where do you feel that? Do you feel that same life force energy within you that keeps you breathing without even trying? And so that's almost like the first connection to source within their bodies. They're like, oh, I noticed an expansion in my chest or something happening in my belly. And then we're starting to build safety that there is that internally in the body. So that's the difference. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe as we go on, it would be easier to ask, like, is there a neutral or pleasant sensation in the body? that would be a good resource too. A neutral one, because they, it's a resource that they can always go back to when they are feeling that those threats within themselves. Is it true? Yeah. Yeah. Like if there's a threat in the body, it can often manifest as a contraction. Mm. And so we have a tendency to fixate on that. For example, like in my state of bloatedness and my belly stuff, I would just, my mind would fixate on that discomfort. And it wouldn't go away. And then it would just get bigger and bigger. But then when you focus on the more neutral sensation, it almost allows expansion in that place for that place to kind of be able to like digest the experience. Mm -hmm. And there's pendulation. Right. It's almost as if our minds are like little kids that try to help by Mm -hmm. fixating on the problem. But the problem is not something that the mind can fix right um yeah it's like the mind the way that i explain it is if you can imagine our bodies as the container that holds all of our emotions every time trauma happens the container constricts and gets smaller and smaller in this constricted state yeah and so then we have less of a capacity to just deal with the daily stressors of life and one small thing can kind of like set you off but then when we give it, when we start to introduce space, we're, we're basically building capacity in the body to be able to expand again. And so we orient to those neutral places or pleasant places to expand the nervous system so that now we have more capacity to be with more stressors. Like it doesn't, yeah, doesn't derail us anymore. Yeah, it doesn't derail us where we don't end up spiraling for hours or days. Yeah, beautiful, potent. I had a um, pleasure of experiencing that firsthand uh, not too long ago. Um, this thing you just described, which I believe is called pendulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was literally, I felt uh, this uh, visceral sens- sensation of being drawn into a vortex. Uh, this particular one was around my inability or my fear around falling asleep or actually the fear is around not being able to fall asleep. Uh, and as I would lay down and I would lay in my bed, my body being tired, ready to doze off, my mind would get this sort of thought, this fear activated where just like a simple, very subtle question like, Hey, what if you cannot fall asleep? And then that would create this sort of vortex small in the beginning. And then as I, as you're saying, as I keep my mind on it, 
because my mind actually drawn to it for whatever reason out of my control like it gets bigger and bigger and then it pulls me in and what i uh did last time was literally to shift my focus from that from the vortex from the threat into something neutral and this was in my body like i felt the constriction in my body on my left side and then i moved from that onto my right right leg right mm -hmm. side and that allowed me a bit of space mm -hmm. and then i was like okay I'm, i'm safer now i'm still at the edge of that vortex but i'm i found a bit of relief mm -hmm. and now let's go deeper into that so i've started to, fo to put my focus on um maybe the the my touch with the bed itself the, mm -hmm. that sensation that which was pleasurable because my body was so ready to fall asleep so mm -hmm. i could allow that more uh and slowly slowly i uh was able to kind of drift off you know to get further and further away from the vortex and then i slept pretty well <laughs> yeah that's so yeah. cool that's amazing yeah. thank you so much for that actually yeah it's like when you are you know that happens to me too when it's like oh you're going to be able to fall asleep and then you're subconsciously suppressing that you're like okay no go away like i need yeah. to go to sleep yeah exactly. and then there's that constriction which is called coupled emotions where you have one energy just trying to move through but you're subconsciously pushing it away and this is actually where i use the metaphor of kids like if you imagine having a four-year-old who was starting to be like hey i have a i have a feeling and i have a problem like i'm feeling really scared what would happen if you put that child in a room and close the door they would just pound on the door and yeah. be like oh my god like let me out of here but what yeah. if you instead turn towards it and you're like hey i see you i hear you i know you're here and you start working with them really slowly and so that's kind of what you did you're like oh i'm acknowledging this place in myself i'm not ignoring it but i'm going over here to resource with a more neutral place yeah. which then the whole body and the mind is like okay we're not in total threat and danger there's a neutral place yeah. here so clearly yeah. you know we're not in fight or flight we don't actually need to run away from something yeah and then say if we were to process that more um you know, I would maybe guide you to then dip into that uncomfortable sensation 5% and mm -hmm. then kind of swing back over into that neutral place and go back and forth at your own pace. And mm -hmm. gradually you might notice that that place of constriction kind of dissolves. And that's really the integration process of trauma is not how do we get these bad things out of our bodies, but how do we integrate the parts of ourselves that we have exiled back yeah. into ourselves? Yeah. And that is the work of healing in most uh, practices that I've been I've familiarized myself with. They are all kind of leading to the same truth. Right. It's not about cutting something off, but it's bringing that thing that you already cut off mm -hmm. from the basement or whatever you put it because it didn't actually die. It's still there. And then like <laughs> the child is pounding on the door and screaming, hey, yeah. I'm still here. And then it manifests in your dreams or in your fears or, you know, there's shadows and demons and all of that in your yeah. psyche uh and the question is how do we bring him back or her back and accept knowledge love thank yeah let be exactly yeah. it's not the part itself it's just the shame around yeah. the part yeah we humans are so interesting uh, beings creatures <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> paradoxical in some ways right like <laughs> all of life is a paradox yeah <laughs> yeah 
Okay, so how does the future look like for you? Um, how does the future look like? Yeah. Well, I think because I'm actually moving, I'm just being called more and more into one-on-one. I mean, I'm being called more and more into group work. And recently, you know, I feel like I'm always discovering more modalities and doing my own healing. And that leads me to things I get obsessed with that turns into my work with people. But now taking everything from one-on-one work into the group work and then kind of moving into the relational field, which is where my interest is. Because I think at the root of all this, we crave intimacy and divine connection with ourselves and each other. And so, yes, it's amazing to do all this work and come back to self in a one-on-one context and do all this work. But then to me, what's the what's the purpose of it? It's really this deeper soul connection and finding that in community with our relationships, whether it's friends, families, lovers. And this relational piece to me is what we're terrified as as humans, (laughs) which is when I really look at us. Like I imagine aliens that are like in the future, they're looking at us like laughing, like, oh my God, (laughs) intimacy is the thing that they think is going to kill them. You know, like if I show up vulnerable and tell you about this part of me, you know, Which is something that could be so nurturing. I, right? It is. <laughs> that's the whole work, and that's kind of where I find myself drawn to now in this world of getting into authentic relating and circling, um, having a container and a space where, for example, I'm showing up with these parts where I'm naming, oh, I feel a really deep sadness in my chest, and there's part of me that feels pathetic. Mm-hmm. And getting to be in a circle where I just name that And for other people, then the practice is not to judge me, try to fix me, but more show up with what that does to them and their systems. And of course, it's always surprising. But say I say that to you, what would what would be the response in you if I'm like, there's a really deep grief in my chest right now and I'm feeling really sad and pathetic? How how does that affect you in your body? I feel a subtle tendency of wanting to give you a hug or to be there for you, you know. Um, But then at the same time, I know this is your own experience and I'm not here, as you said, to fix you. Mm. So I allow that to happen and I'm I'm observing that within myself and then I'm communicating on which is what I'm doing now. Right. And then I could ask you, I guess, how did that land for you? Yeah, exactly. But most of the time this gets lost in our conversation because I would have never admitted that coming from the protective place we as humans are taught to be. I would have managed and suppressed that sad part of me first, put on this happy face and been kind of disconnected from you. I would have been like, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm good. Yeah. And then there's really no connection there. There's no intimacy that we're both looking for. But then by naming that, and then to hear from you that you then actually want to move closer to me and that you want to comfort me, my nervous system is like, oh, I thought that if I showed these weak parts of myself that you you would want to go away from me. You'd be like, oh, you're a Debbie Downer, or like, I don't want to talk to you. 
And so that's really where I'm drawn to now is this interrelatedness as we show up with all these parts um, yeah. where I feel like so much healing happens. Yeah, I love it. It's a, it's such an interesting subject. Um, I mean, the, such an interesting domain, this the domain of relationships, which is what pretty much is the, the foundation of society and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, like in our healing journey, and I'm, will speak only for my own um, because I know that one. Um, I would try to run away from relationships or from people uh, in general while I'm deep in my own, you know, trauma or in my own healing um, just because I wouldn't like to be seen like that or I would have these beliefs that they would judge me or that they wouldn't like me anymore or all of that. Like. Mm-hmm. I remember when I started when I started my spiritual journey, um, meditating was such a taboo topic for me. Like I waited one year before I meditated because I was so afraid, embarrassed, and ashamed that what would people think of that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is so bizarre right. thinking right now. But yeah, um, <laughs> and then like as Richard Rudd is saying, the founder of Jinkies. Um, relationships, not only they are at the foundation of of humanity because it's what you know uh, ensures the species goes further, but it's also at at the base of our um, consciousness, like the evolution of our consciousness, because it's through the relationships that we get to get triggered and eventually heal. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas where I'm coming from uh, was that, oh, I need to find a perfect relationship with that perfect person that will never trigger me. Right. And that I would never trigger (laughs) them and we're perfectly made for each other. Yeah. (laughs) Because soulmates, right? I thought that's what a soulmate is or a twin frame or whatever. And because I grew up with uh, Disney movies and uh, all of that Hollywood romanticism that always ends with, you know, a happy ending is uh, in a movie is when the two people finally after so much conflict come together and they will love each other forever yeah but if there's a sequel to that movie you'll see that totally. it's actually nah, not that, that fun and uh, you right. know they are actually going through some probably some conflict and probably some yeah I don't know yeah like breaking up or something um and yeah, I'm just saying, like, I'm fascinated by this, uh, this subject nowadays of, uh, of relationship and finding connections and relations in my own life where I'm not as scared of conflict anymore, where I can be, let me show up as my vulnerable, maybe pathetic, maybe, you know, embarrassed, uh, not enough mm-hmm. self, mm-hmm. uh, and allow that outside in the in the external world be seen by someone else and to my surprise most of the times those people don't run away yeah or if they do they're not the right people that you want to be with right and it's kind of like learning this idea that actually the pathway to intimacy is through healthy conflict and when you do find that partner that you say if you are or any partner 
every relationship is a portal to your healing. So you're going to trigger each other. Relational wounds are healed in relationship. That's why, you know, and most of our, so many of our wounds are relational because they're from our caretakers and attachment stuff, right? So it's not about finding somebody who won't trigger you or who is perfect. We're all traumatized, (laughs) but it's kind of about doing your own healing and learning how to show up authentically, meaning be able to speak your needs, boundaries, all of that, even in the face of abandonment, in the face of being able to um, being misunderstood. But that means you're not self-abandoning. And in that process, because you're not self-abandoning, you get to figure out, is this person that I'm with, like, is this the kind of crazy that is that I can handle, right? Because if this is like long-term partnership, you want to know if this is going to really conflict with your life day to day. If it's like really triggering you over and over again and you can't live your life, well, this might not be the right kind of crazy that you're compatible with. (laughs) So you just find the compatible craziness where you guys can healthily trigger each other and work through conflict. And then that's the beauty on the other side of that deep intimacy that we're actually craving. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's so hard because we're either... We're protecting ourselves, but then we find ourselves isolated and alone and we don't have that love. And so we're actually expanding our capacity of our nervous system to be able to hold putting our heart on the line, to be willing to let our hearts be broken, like broken wide open, which is in the place where grief and love are, are the same, in the same place. And I know that sounds terrifying, but it's, I think, what our soul yearns for. Yeah, and I think it's the only way through real connection and real love yeah yeah so beautiful <laughs> thank you so much Tammy. <laughs> um you have a lot of experience in the field i can i can see <laughs> I can tell. um do you have any advice for anyone who listens um i don't know could be something that helped you a lot. Could be something that you had an epiphany or realized in your own journey. Uh, could be something random. I think that it can be easy for a lot of these trauma healing messages now to make it look like it's so hard and it's all tumultuous and you have to go into the depths of your grief and rage, which is yes, what I lead women through. I I lead women through, I like hold them through the dark nights of the soul. Mm. But really like the part that gets missed a lot is our connection to beauty, our orienting to pleasure, our um, coming back to our creativity. And mm, that's so hard. I feel like I have so many, I have like 12 modules of advice. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you can give a top three. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to think of the best one. I know. Yeah. It's, I don't, I like, I think I do like to talk about the misconception that we have to dig back into every single traumatic memory in order to be healed. Um, I think it's, that's like when I began my trauma healing journey, it was from a place of, oh, I found this thing. Now I'm going to pop all these bubbles of trauma and then suddenly I'm going to be whole once I reach a certain destination. It's a linear trajectory. It's linear, exactly. It's still this patriarchal model that keeps us traumatized in the first place. But as we progress, it's realizing like, oh, 
I actually just have to live my life in the present right now. I'm already oriented to the beautiful things right now. Just keep practicing that being in that counter vortex despite trauma. Um, mm. You know, like there is no ending of this healing journey. So at some point it's like, oh, I can actually just be present and, and feel love and the, the perfection of everything that is here, both the suffering and mm. the beauty at all at once. And to be able to hold that paradox of life, of everything's a paradox of the love and beauty on one side and the grief on the other. To be able to hold, um, say, for example, in the manifestation world, having a vision and how do I surrender to that moment yeah. to moment so that I'm still enjoying the process and not clutching on trying to make something happen and figure it out so that I could get to a place of success, which is actually keeping me from being in that place. Like I could actually feel that in my body now before I, before I get to somewhere or whatever. And, you know, I just, I love talking about the mindset shift. You know, when I first left the fashion industry and the ways that being in a corporate setting will have you narrow down on everything to be an expert. It like trains you the exact opposite way where I used to be somebody that would find all the ways and all the reasons why things couldn't be done. Cause that would make me an expert. It would make it me seem like I've been in the industry for a long yeah. time. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I know why that can't work. No, I've seen that thing before. Like, no, there's no way, you know, and that's what people trust you for in the industry. But then you come out into your spiritual healing journey and it's, unlearning that and more being like, Ooh, how can things be done? Like yeah. how asking myself, how could things be easy? Or, you know, just like entertaining the opposite of what the ego has driven us to zoom in on, to expand the capacity of our system, to be able to actually accept and be with more pleasure and beauty in our lives, which is often the problem. The problem is not that we can't be with the pain like we we're so used to the right. trauma but we don't know how to open up to beauty pleasure abundance yep. and that's kind of yeah. really so much of the work that is so true i think i've told you this once um but i will repeat for everyone who listens uh in my own in my own journey uh i know at some point when i was deep down in my my it the, i don't have any other word to call it uh but i remember i would i would go to this event let's say a movie night or uh, a party or a gathering where literally you know people were having fun everything was okay it was weekend i didn't have anything to work on or to be doing anything else than be there but i would notice my body would, would tense up at the first um opportunity to to put a smile on my face at the first you know opportunity to, to to sit back and relax and and feel those um uh, feelings of or emotions of joy or mm -hmm. pleasure right uh, you know those sensations in the body as soon as they would come in sometimes it would catch me by surprise and i would let them be for a few minutes but then my mind would catch in and be like oh no 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 this is terrifying like what are you doing you're not supposed to have fun right now and it is so bizarre, right? Mm -hmm. um, because this got instilled in me later on in life. It wasn't like I, in my childhood. I I always say like I have a I had a pretty normal, if not happy childhood. Yes, 
trauma existed and different sorts of abuse and or uh, uh, issues like that existed, but I could have fun and I could relax and I could play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my early adulthood, all of that kind of went away and I fell into this dark mm-hmm. pit or vortex or whatever other name we want to put on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, it was so hard for me to allow joy to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like the body, you know, you subconsciously suppress all that stuff. And then when the psyche is ready to be with all of that pain, then it presents in the body. That's like the body speaking to you when it comes in the form of depression or for me, that stomach stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, that I was at a healing circle the other day and the facilitator said something along the lines of, the hardest thing for us humans is to let a good thing happen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And this was the first time I was able to allow that to happen L- years later, maybe five years after after uh, noticing and after being in that pit. Um, like last, no, this year, this year, last year, so not too long ago. Uh, I was just talking with someone and I think we had a more vulnerable conversation, connection, and she said something that my body really liked, that my mind really liked, and then I noticed how that sensation comes onto my face, onto my, you know, in my body, and then there was like a block that I didn't, you know, like, that I knew so well not to allow it to to happen, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I could let go of that block, and then I my face just smiles, started to radiate mm-hmm. on my face. And for the first time in many years, I could just sit with that in front of that person and literally just smile profoundly from my heart, from my yeah. soul, and be with that and allow that to be part of who I am and who, what my expression of the moment was, right? Yeah. Uh, and that changed me. That, that kind of changed my life. Totally. Yeah, because you're able to receive, you develop that capacity to receive. And in the attachment work I do, that's part of it. Like when there's coupled emotions, often when, for example, if there has been abuse or there was criticism growing up from the parents, right? We receive both love from them, but also part of us is always subconsciously waiting for the other shoe to drop. When is the next slap coming? When is the next criticism coming? So then love and fear are coupled and so when we receive that yeah. as adults you receive the love and then immediately the ego's like okay but yep, like just, yep. just clench up because like you can't be relaxed for too long and so in for example with clients then like when we're practicing starting to expand the capacity for that love or that feeling of safety it can actually be shocking at first right. the body doesn't have the capacity to hold that support so it's like well can we just be with that one molecule in the body like mm. what does that feel like and it could you know my client might say something like okay there's like a tiny speck right here in my chest mm. and we'll just stay with that and we, and then it's like can we just be with a tolerable amount of that speck we don't have to go all the way it let's just be with that and then when we stay there long enough it usually starts to expand and it's that's how we're working with the body slowly to be able to receive more and more. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and then for me, what I noticed is that once I was able to receive that the, the joy, the mm-hmm. joyful emotion, which is a, obviously a pleasurable emotion, 
I was also able to receive the more opposite of that, like the fear emotion and really stay with that yeah. and allow that to, you know, uh, exist in my body, vibrate mm-hmm. in my body and not try to shut it down right away and not try to run away from it, but allow it to be. Right. And it allowed me to process it a bit more and to maybe, yeah, I remember first time I did it, I was shaking, mm-hmm. shaking in bed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but it only lasted two minutes and then I was free of it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that was surprising too. Right. Whereas before, it's like you don't have the capacity to be with that right. and you're just suppressing it the whole time. And, and I would lasts. wait the whole night to pass and it wouldn't pass. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so the, all of this work is kind of like giving you the resources and the tools to know how to go. You know, the only way out is through. Right. To basically make it through in a safe way and realize what's on the other side. Right. We are so afraid of the other side when we are in this sort of. Yeah, yeah. But the other side could be very welcoming and receiving. Right. Well, yeah, makes sense when we're trapped in that child mind of thinking, Mm -hmm. I'm alone, there's nobody here. Of course, we don't want to enter those depths. We're still stuck in a four-year-old nervous system state. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bodies are amazing. Yeah. Okay, Tammy, thank you so much. We're about to wrap up. Uh, where can people find you or find more about you and your amazing course <laughs> and uh, everything you want to share? You can mostly find me on Instagram and TikTok at Somatic Spirit. And, Somatic Spirit, mm-hmm. love the name. And I have the links to my website there and any courses that are upcoming on, on there. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Thank you once again, Tammy, for being here, for uh, sitting with me and conversating about these uh, pretty vulnerable things. Yeah. My own healing journey. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in. Thank you so much. Ciao, ciao. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and being here with us on this episode of Life is Good podcast. I hope you got to learn some interesting things today. Maybe some resonated with you, maybe some didn't, or maybe some you've heard for the first time. In any case, if you have any questions or feedback for me, please don't hesitate to contact me at the link in the description of the podcast. I am so honored to be doing this, and I'm looking forward to be with you in the next episodes. Thank you, thank you, thank you.